Light a campfire and everyone's a storyteller. Join us for some thought-provoking and beyond fireside chats. Hello and welcome to Leave Our World a Better Place. My name is Kasha and today I'll be speaking to Dux Mareja, and Beyond Regional Guide Trainer for Botswana. Dux will be telling us about the beautiful land of Botswana, its main safari regions, and what makes it such a unique destination to visit. Welcome, Dux. Dux, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about your beautiful country of Botswana, which I've just had an opportunity to experience in your company very, very recently. Thanks a lot, Cassia, for, for allowing me this opportunity. I've been looking forward for this. As I understand, it's for the benefit of a lot of uh, a lot of people who would like to know what's happening in the Okavango Delta, what makes it so unique and what makes Botswana a special place to visit on a holiday. Well, there's absolutely nobody better place to answer those questions than you are. Before we start talking about Botswana and its highlights, Chobi and the Okavango Delta, I'd like to sort of start by setting the scene and finding out a little bit more about you. I know that you're currently the Beyond Regional Guide Trainer for Botswana. You have an amazing wealth of experience in Botswana with a 20-year career to your name. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself, um, where you come from and the various roles that you have played in the tourism industry in the country? I believe you know I'm, I'm Dukes Mareja, who actually grew up in Botswana, just on the outskirts of the Okavango Delta, about one and a half our drive to the north of the tourist town of Maun. I lived my life in that village in Maun where I did my high school. Otherwise, my work life, it's, it's, it's not so long, I wouldn't say, but um, I started my career as early as 2000 when, when I joined the accountant team or accounting which, which I did for at least two and a half years. Strategically, my uncle saved money without my understanding that, that uh, he's saving money for my college. Because at the beginning, I, I didn't choose to be an accountant. It's something that just happened. I used, I used the savings to, to actually develop myself in the, in the field of guiding. And fortunately, I came to and beyond where I did my internship. And before my internship finished, I was enrolled as one among the guides in the pipeline. And then I came back and worked for and beyond Nabeja uh, or Kavango Tented Camp, which is pretty much situated within the center part of the Delta, a beautiful area. And it coincidentally, that's where I'm sitting right now. And uh, I worked out my life here as a guide until I became a head guide. And uh, came the year 2021 when I took a break to further my study at the college and I did wildlife biology. Then when I came back, I did some few freelance projects for other tour operator who brought in some photographer. Photography was my passion at that time. I was actually active in photography. So it, it was quite interesting. I met the, the world known tour operators that lead groups across the world. A few years later, the, the opportunity arose again, and then I, I came back to do guides training with and beyond, which I've actually been doing this job for the past seven years. I've been a guide and a head guide at Ngapecha, the best place, and this is where I'm sitting right now. And over the years of, of, my, of my guiding, I've mentored quite a few other guides who are now proud about it, and, and all of them, they are in the field. 
and then I, I noticed that I should further my, my, my study to see if I can pursue like another role. That is when I went to school in 2021, I mean 2011, sorry, where I, I, did, I did my wildlife biology, something that uh, helped me a lot. That then I had interaction with uh, a few, uh, a, a handful of uh, this world-known uh, tour operators that takes people around. So that, that helped me to build up knowledge and skills and, and also exposure. And in future now, what I'm doing is training guides with and beyond. I'm looking forward to uh, carry on, explore with, with my time to get to know other part of the country. And if that means then I can take the people around to show them the beauty of this country from as, as Chobe down, Linyanti, Savuti and Okavango Delta, my favorite part of the country. Thank you, Dux. That's certainly a very colorful career. And um, I'm sure you made a very, very fine accountant, but I think you make a much better guide. Yes, I was indeed I was successful as an accountant, just that you see things that you pursue when you're young, you don't see, you don't see the end point uh, so fast. But you know what? It, it helped me to, to go into the industry because that accounting was also related to a company that does tourism. So meeting guides and being inspired, then I found it, okay, my passion will be best with the guiding because I'm an outdoor guy and I lived and I grew up in, in a wilderness area similar to where I'm working right now. So, yeah, it wasn't a bad, it wasn't a bad career diversion, I think. What, no, I think I think the things that we do when we're young always add up to where we're going to end up in the end. Exactly. Dux, I think when, when people and travelers in particular speak about Botswana, the Okavango Delta is always one of those places that comes to mind, first of all. It's really a unique place. So I, I don't blame anybody for that. But there is more to the country's wildlife and to its safari areas than just that. And I know that and Beyond in particular has got a number of lodges in the Delta, but then it's also got the under canvas camps in, in the Chobe National Park. And that kind of forms the ideal circuit to explore the country. Could we start off talking about the Chobe National Park first, where Chobe under canvas is? Can you tell us a little bit about what this part of Botswana is like and about the Chobe River and the role that it plays in, in the country's wildlife and, and the safari experiences? Great. Thanks a lot for giving me that opportunity. Apparently, the the, the northern part of Botswana consists of incredible uh, ecosystem. Chobe being one of them has been so much famous and had a, a great reputation of having the best wildlife in, in that part of the corner of the country. An incredible geological landscape. Uh, game rich as, as a result of being protected as early as the years of 1950s. Uh, this area has been protected and, and, and some restrictions were in place to try and monitor the interaction in, in within that ecosystem. This is a, a special place as a result that it's now at the northern corner of Botswana where it borders countries like Namibia, Zimbabwe and Zambia. It's, it's a beautiful ecosystem, a big river system coming across, which then has a, a landscape that is characterized by like pretty much wooded trees into, into the river bank and into the woodland that sustain a, like a huge population of elephants. The Choba National Park apparently is renowned to have these large heads of elephants, large heads of buffalo. Then these animals do attract 
uh, a number of predators, particularly lion being one among the big ones, and uh, a lot more other general game which are regarded as plain game. They come around there. So an incredible bird life uh, that you could find within the Chobe. And then this Chobe River or the Chobe itself, it's, it's an ecosystem that uh, actually sustain a lot of life from wildlife to people uh, who lived on each side of the river, could it be in the Zambezi region or in the Chobe or Kasani village, which is adjacent to that, and some other villages along the, the river as it goes towards Linyanti swamp, and it sustains the Savuti marsh. It's, it's, a, it's actually an open migratory route to many animals that move between Chobe and passing through Savuti into Muremi Game Reserve. The animals like the buffaloes that are engaged in like continuous migration in search of resources, uh, the large number of elephants that move between Wange and Chobe. Also, th this makes the whole ecosystem healthy as, as these animals keep coming in until the Chobe has been a prime safari destination that attracts a number of people as the connection will be coming from the neighbor natural wonders like the Victoria Falls, where people would, would visit Victoria Falls and combine it with the Chobe. They go into Zambia, combine it with the Chobe. You find that within that circuit, it, it Chobe stands out as the wildlife destination. Hence, there are certain other uh, attractions that people would visit, but they would not leave Chobe behind as a result of its wealth in terms of uh, the wildlife and uh, the, the, the principles in place that monitors the place, that it remain as natural as, as everybody else in the world expects to visit an area of that nature. It's interesting to, to have Chobe as part of the, the circuit. Hence, we have the Chobe under canvas. It gives us privilege to see all these tremendous or spectacular wildlife species that live and, and, and hang around around that place. And there are actually a couple of species um, in the Chobe that can't be found anywhere else in Botswana. I think um, in terms of antelope and maybe some bird life as well. Could you tell us a little bit about those, please? We, we have uh, antelopes, like uh, one unique antelope that is found in the Chobe, not anywhere else in the country, is the Puku. Puku is a close cousin to the famous red lichui that is common in the Delta. So this puku, it's, it's, uh, it's not heavily populated by the specific areas within the Chobe where you find it. And it's, it's, uh, it's an attraction to many people. A couple of birds that are, can be found in other parts of Botswana, but in Chobe you find them like in numbers and, and maybe pretty much the, the, the longest part of the year they are there. That's like uh, the African schema. We're looking at uh, birds like uh, the, the pelican, great white pelicans, uh, they, they will be within the Chobe throughout the year most of the time. And uh, quite a lot of other migratory species, as they come back from the east part of the continent, they come via Chobe, spending much time there. So that means they will arrive in the Chobe and spend weeks there before they make their way into in, inland, into the delta or the central part of the country. We're looking at uh, intra-Africa birds like the yellow-billed kite, birds like southern carmine bee eaters, 
Uh, they even breed in Chobe. Think about it. The big flocks of this southern karma and bee eater just on the banks of the Chobe River. They paint the area to be red or maroon color. And this is one among the, the attraction when it comes to bird life. A lot of a lot of other birds that comes in there, like raptors, uh, the likes of the African fish eagle, which we can also find them in the delta in numbers. But in the Chobe, you find them like in the bank and pretty much a good chance to be even as close to these birds because the river itself uh, brings a lot of life to everybody. And the birds would, would be on the bank as the boats are moving in and quite special that you, you see them not even moving away when the large heads of elephants swimming across and cross the river into islands where they, they come around and feed. A beautiful interaction of these birds, the, some of them nesting into those islands, uh, watching them communicating with this big game as they approach their nesting sites, makes the place itself to be remarkable. Not just looking into the big cats, the hunts that people, people mostly like, when they watch buffaloes being chased by elephants through the water, those kind of things make up the experience of those who happen or who are fortunate to be in the Choba National Park uh, most of the time. Well, it really is a very, very beautiful place. I also wanted to talk about another area that you've already mentioned, um, the Savuti Marsh and the Savuti Channel. I know that you know if you do research and you read about it a bit, there seems to be a bit of mystery that when people speak about. Um, the geographic features and the water flow in that area and that it comes and goes. Can you tell us a little bit about this area? And, you know, is there really this mysterious channel that keeps on um, filling up and drying up? And, you know, how does it affect the landscape and the wildlife in that particular area? Indeed, it's an area that it's interesting to for, for one to study and get to know how things works out within that ecosystem. The Savuti River, to start with, takes its water from a, a famous place called Ziva Dianja. It's a huge lagoon that is actually hitting the fault line. The eastern rift valley of, of eastern rift valley coming as far as Kenya passing through, it looks like it's in line with the Linyanti and there's a huge fault line there that that determines the flow of the water, the Linyanti River flowing in. Kwando River flows into this corner of the country. Then there is a little stretch, an arm from the Okavango Delta, we call it Cylinder Spillway. So that spillway also brings the water into this big lagoon. So in good rains, when this lagoon is full, the water finds its way in between and break up the wall. And then that break, broken section is where the Savuti uh, channel begins, but the, the the three different tributaries or river system that brings the water into this big lagoon here carries a lot of sediment, like sand, which suffocated the Savuti for years. But this sedimentation here means that in good years when we had good amount of rain, good amount of floods, the water fills up and overflow the the sediment, and then Savuti river it's back in life the years like 20 2009 10 11 12 that four years period that river was back in life after having dried for about 34 years the last time it dried out it was 1982 and then from 1982 never had water until until 2009 
2009, it filled up all the way until it reached the marsh. So that river system, the marsh is the is the is the empty point, like a drainage section of the of the river. So then it transformed this big marsh into into a beautiful habitat where the herbivores will come in numbers, and this is even part of the the the, the stop point of the migrate zebras migration, uh, and it it draws attention of large herds of wildebeest. The elephants will be coming in there. This is what made Savuti special, is the fact that this beautiful marsh and the river itself attracted a number of animals in the past, and this, this has became one among the most fertile ground, the marsh itself, hosting a lot of animals and, and, and also a lot of birds coming into the area. As much as you know, a flat area, sort of like a pan, but much more with predominantly couch grass which sustains the the herbivores and it's 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 nutritious grasses that the zebras will always come through the area and feed and uh this then attracts a lot of big heads of 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 other species and then the lions would would, would be there as much as you know following the zebras and tourism has became the most success activity within the, the savuti as people are are coming from chobe via Savuti into Moremi. So it, it kind of like worked out that the, the distance from Chobe to, to Moremi or the Okavango Delta, you you break it up by, by stopping at Savuti for a few more days and, and, and enjoy and benefit the beauty of, of the area and those magnificent head of zebras and watch the interaction of the, the predators and prey species as they hunt them around around the area, yeah. For many years, it has been it has been one special place that people would not miss when they come on on their safari holidays. Dux, you mentioned something that I find absolutely fascinating, and that's the zebra migration. It's such an interesting thing, but something that I think so few people are aware of. Because when you think about Africa and migrations, I think a lot of people have seen so many wildlife documentaries about the Great Migration in East Africa that their mind automatically goes there. And yet there's this movement of zebra that happens in Botswana. Could you talk a little bit about that? And, you know, does it in fact still happen annually? Um, you know, are there game fences that get in the way or is, you know, what is... What is this phenomenon all about and, and what is its, its impact? Yes, it, it is still happening. The zebra migration, which, which has been happening even before people, people pay attention to it. It looks like hundreds and thousands of zebras have been migrating even long time ago. They've been followed by the hunters and gatherer tribes like the, the Sen. Otherwise, quite quite recently, when things started getting recorded, this became one among the the phenomena that were published in the world. That in southern Africa there is a second largest migration, and it it involves the zebras and the wildebeest that used to migrate from the central part of the country, known as Central Kalahari. They come down to an area we call Makari Khari, and then they go via a place we call Ngaipan. From Naipan, they cut through. This movement is from south going north. And then they come back from north going south. So when they come from central Kalahari via Makarikari, goes into Naipan, then they go into 
they take a long distance there from from Japan. It's a long stretch to get to Mababe Depression, which costs them normally three to four days. And as they get in Mababe Depression, they hang around. Mababe Depression is more or less like Savuti Marsh. It's 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 also an, a fertile ecosystem because it's a drainage point of one among the major component of the Okavango Delta, and it fills up with water. Beautiful grasses. Uh, suitable and palatable for the zebras. They hang around there for a little while to break down the fatigue of the trip. And then after that, they go into Savuti Marsh. Um, when they get in Savuti Marsh, they hang around there for quite a while. And then when the season changes now, after, like towards the end of the rainy season, up they go into the Nyanti and they cross over back into Zambezi region. Some of them spread out towards the Chobe and they cross over the Chobe River into Zambezi region. So luckily in the area they go in into Zambezi region is the is the is the game reserve that side. So they hang around there, not interacting with farmers. And then and this will be transformed into like a beautiful feeding ground during those dry months because it's part of the flooding season and then the water recedes and it, tra- it remains green still. So the movement will then turn around there, come back from, from the Zambezi region, cross over the Chobe, back into Savuti Marsh. They go back into Mabaru Depression, back into Ngaipen, Makari Kari, straight down and join up with the, the other migration coming from the Karoo, which is that one of the Springboks. So this migration, as I explained it, has been affected slightly. When, when the country took independence, they, they signed up a contract uh, with the European Union to export the beef. So then this came with some 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 conditions. One of the conditions was to separate the wildlife and the livestock. So that influenced the fences in between. And some of these fences are running along the migratory path of these zebras. And then it happened that some of the zebras remain this side when the other ones are on the other side. So the zebras then broke into smaller units and a lot of zebras now we see them in the delta that brought down the the number of the migration from the estimated figures of 18 to 25,000. Now, the current research project of zebras in Makari Khadi established that at least around 12,000 zebras are still engaged in this migration uh, during the raining, the raining season, yeah, the rainy months. But we figured out that these zebras, as they move into this uh, lush, green, fertile ground, this is where they drop their young and they hang around there for a couple of weeks for, for, for the zebra fowls to, to gain the strength and then they carry on with the, move, the migration to get to another destination after exhausting this area. Now they go to the next one and they, that's the reason they're moving. The area will be exhausted. So they move to the next one. They hang around there for weeks. Then it get exhausted because the grass is finished. They move around. Just like that. I think the concept of migration is more or less the same like that of East Africa. It's much more into resources as they move around. But I tell you, over the years, there has been uh, nomadic lions moving, following the zebras, benefiting from, from those who cannot cope up with the trip, uh, the young ones that collapses on the way. So I tell you, the migration itself sustained a lot of predators, that uh, the ecosystem fits itself like that that uh, we, we're not considering the lions being so so terrible to the zebras, you know, otherwise the zebra will be too many. So as, as they move around, 
the mortality then does the changes and every year the ecosystem is healthy. We still see these large heads of zebras coming in. I should think if if we reverse back like 40 years back, take all the zebras in the delta, put them together with those that are still engaged in the migration, I tell you we might have more than 50,000 to 100,000, if not more, of the zebras that would 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 were part of this migration and they broke up into smaller units as a result of availability of resources into the Delta Islands and, and everywhere, uh, away from villages, away from human, uh, human settlements. And, and, and then they are now within wildlife area where there isn't or much more of the disturbance into their life and they settle. It's a beautiful migration and I tell you, over the years has fascinated a lot of travelers and it's something that makes the country unique when it comes to that because this migration is what triggered the zebra to be a national animal of this country. You know, if somebody wanted to take a chance at seeing, um, you know, what's left of the zebra migration, what would be a good time of year to travel and where, where geographically in Botswana would be the best place to do it? If you find yourself in Savuti Marsh around the months of uh, January, February, you will be fascinated by massive heads, massive groups of zebras as they hang around within the Savuti Marsh around those months, January, February, because then it's, it's, it's mid-rainy season. And at that time, there will be a lot to eat. And also they, they spend a lot of time there. That's the most fertile part of their, of, of their route they travel. And uh, at the same time, when those ones are there, Another bigger group like that is within an area we call Naipan. Some of our uh, and beyond uh, expedition itineraries used to go into that area that those months that I'm talking about uh, for the same purpose. Yeah, Naipan and and um, Sabuti Marsh, January, February are the are the prime months for for the zebras as they arrive there and then have their babies and and it's, a, it's so much attraction the predators are, are all over and it's it's is the best time to to experience this uh, phenomenon migration experience it sounds absolutely amazing and certainly a good reason to travel just to sort of round up on where we started with talking about about chobi and savuti if, if somebody's planning to travel to botswana and they think okay well i'm going into the okavango delta and that is a you know that's an area with lots of water as well why do i still want to add on a visit to the chobi river or to savuti which is another marshland how would you answer that question? Why would you recommend that travelers should go to Chobi and to Savuti as well as the Okavango Delta? Well, I would say this this three major ecosystem of tourist attraction in Botswana, they they are far much different from one another. And the landscape, the, the habitats, they, they, they differ in a sense that they, I mean the Okavango Delta itself, it's it's quite an amazing ecosystem that is it's just an an, an oasis in the in the desert sands of the Kalahari Sand Basin, and uh, and it's quite unique to even be part of the the whole thing when you get to realize that this is just rainwater over the years accumulating in the highlands in the eastern part of Angola, which is pretty much quite higher in altitude, uh, about a thousand eight hundred above the sea level, and then it's quite higher, and you get to realize that. That amount of water collected within these 
uh, rainforest and and mountains in this in this ecosystem flows down the slope and it happens that the water comes in two major components and which which joins up just before they cross the 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 Zambezi region far up in the western corner and then this water comes into the rocky outcrop from these mountains up until it crosses the Zambezi region of Namibia and then the moment it hit the catchment section of Botswana then it's Kalahari sand which then says reduces the pressure from the water and forces it to expand and makes such a big river system we call the Panhandle. And as this water comes in, uh, in, in one big stream like that, and then it encounters another geological structure, we call it fault line, which then influences the water to go into a flow, a strong pace or strong current, which then forces the water to spread in different directions. Over the years, this system has formed three major components. Component I'm referring to river system, which then flows in three different directions. And then as they overflow, they, they cover up and form this into a swampy area. And these geological structures keep changing and determine the water flow like halfway in the middle part of this ecosystem. The, the land goes up a little bit and reduces this permanent swamp and then establish these rivers now defined as they one goes on the north, one goes in the center, and the other on the on the southern southern part, forming a palm section. Like if you use your palm hand, it, it will give a typical example of how it looks like. The the geological structure in the center part of the delta determines the flow of the water and it comes up in three major components with a few tributaries in the middle. And it, it forms a lot of islands as the water is flowing. And this transforms into a beautiful ecosystem, which is regarded as an oasis. It's, it's a unique delta in the whole world that does not contribute its water to, to the sea or even get the waters from the sea. Uh, it's just from the mountains. And then it ends in the Kalahari sand of Botswana, forming at least 18,000 square kilometers when we have like enormous flats or down to 15,000 square kilometers when we had less. The, the water that is getting measured at the catchment point during a decent amount of rains, up to like 11 billion cubic meter or rather six, 6 billion when it's less. That's the, the delta size range between that based on how much rainfall we, we have received. It's quite an interesting ecosystem that sustained as much life as maybe double the size of what the chobe would do in terms of in terms of uh, stretch and covering much more much more of the places that the human inhabitants that live on the outskirts of the delta significantly benefit from this ecosystem more so that they, their life depends on a lot of resources that are produced within the delta and one of which is the tourism uh, even if it's of recent as early as 1970s when tourism started. But a lot of people, I tell you, within the outskirts of the Delta, they have got one way or the other uh, a benefit, even if it's not direct or indirect. Some of those are harvesting the, the natural resources, they're cutting the grasses, which they sell to safari operators for, for construction of their lodges. And a lot of people here, they get the, the, the palm nuts leaves, 
the palm nuts, I mean, and also the leaves, which they use for weaving the baskets. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of things, not just the hunting and gathering life that they lived in the past. But uh, once the Delta became a, a heritage site, a lot of people, they, 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 they buy into the story. They, they now see the value into this wildlife uh, because of this... Um, uh, tourism that is going on. Strategically, the government engaged the communities again uh, to participate in, in this tourism from an early stage, I would say from as early 90s. The, the, the establishment of what we call community-based natural resources management has actually changed the mindset of the villagers to consider the natural resources being conserved than, than, than even having to hunt or kill animals for subsistence is something that we, we see in the past. Uh, right now, everybody else is working towards the same goal of conserving the natural resources uh, for future generation. And we are spreading the same message even in, in, in remote areas. People are awareness. It's just as amazing as you won't believe. Uh, companies like and beyond having to be one among the operators in the Delta play a significant role in empowering the community and bringing resources back in the community by means of taking some of the students on bazaars and also do some projects that are being appreciated by these communities and they see the value because we go to these villages and do conservation lesson. We go back to this communities and try and tell them where we get the money to construct and do all these things that they benefit from. If it wasn't this tourism or safari industry that is operating within the country, uh, coming in here because of the resources, otherwise this 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 whole assistance would not happen. So our people are, are now aware and, and the Delta itself, hence, hence it, 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 it actually sustained a lot of flora and fauna they, they so much benefit as well, extended up to the reach of the people. So it's a beautiful ecosystem, I tell you, instead of going further more and more, but I, I believe you understood. It's, it's a unique structure that, 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 that is it's quite, it's quite special to even know that the water doesn't leave the country. Uh, it's coming from Angola, only goes across Angola. So the Delta is only within three countries, and it's, it's very very amazing that the sand, the Kalahari sand, became a habitat. It, it's, it's a very rich sand that it's pretty much wooded, semi-arid in some other areas, but within the delta, it's, it's, quite, it's quite special to experience this amount of water just within the Kalahari sand basin. It is a very unique habitat, and as you said, in the setting and the context, it just makes it even more absolutely breathtaking. Exactly. Yeah. And now just about the actual diversity within the Delta. People talk about the Okavango Delta and they think, well, you know, maybe it's pretty much all of the same. And, but there are actually a lot of differences. I mean, I know you have camps like Sandibe, which is actually on the border of, of Moremi, and it doesn't have as much permanent water as some of the other camps. But the wildlife experiences there are also quite different. Then you have other camps like Kurana and Nabeha, that have more permanent water. And again, the landscape is a little bit different and what people see and do and experience is a little bit different. Can you just talk to me a little bit about what those differences are, how the landscapes within the Delta vary, how the settings of the camps vary, and how their guest experience at one camp would vary from what they might see and do and be able to experience at another one? 
these areas or concessions are incredibly special and much more different. I'll, I'll start with Nabeha where I am. It's much more southwest of Sandibi. It's pretty much south central in the Delta, just not far from one of the major components in the center. And then it lies along the floodplains of this magnificent component, which, which runs straight across the Delta. And this is the one that takes the water as far as the tourist town of Mound. So this, this concession of, of Nabeha, it's, it's, it's quite small, but it's diversified with quite a number of habitats. And then it has two major islands, which then they, they camp it in another island. And during the peak time of the floods, then we cross over to another island, which lies across the east to the south. So these islands, depending on the size of the island in the delta, that determines the carrying capacity of the animals that we live within. And then this means that the ecosystem itself can sustain only those particular species and in specific numbers. So we find that every year when the flood goes down, some animals comes in, some animals goes out, just like that. There's a lot of interaction because the season as they change, the, 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 the terrain or the, spe- the plant species also uh, changes in terms of their nutrition. Then that determines the movement of animals within a small area like this of Ngabeha. But what stands out in Ngabeha is the access to this bigger channel where we do our boat cruise. Among the three camps, this is where you get into the permanent water system of the delta or a major component and cruising through here, it's so special that you find the two waterways of the delta in these meandering channels forming quite a unique and special experience with kind of tall reeds and papyrus on the edge and a lot of bird life, aquatic life and interaction. It's quite amazing within this water body as we explore it. So that's what stands out more for, for this lodge. It's the incredible boating experience, as well as the the dugout canoe. Uh, <clears throat> the western part of the concession is characterized by flat, open floodplains of dotted islands in the middle of the palm trees. And the water will even go up and above the grass, and it's just beautiful, and, 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 and you could see the water as far as your eyes can reach. And this is where we put our canoes. The depth of the water is just around a meter, which is convenient and comfortable for many. And it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's an incredible experience that people when they're here, there's never been anybody who did this canoe and never talked more about it afterwards. So that's what makes Nabeha a lot more special. It still has a handful of, of predators, a couple of prides of lions, a couple of leopards. Because of wetlands and smaller islands, some animals, of course, we don't we don't get them around, but they come in seasonally when the floods drop down. Quite spectacular in terms of game viewing that uh, some animals like wild dogs, they come and, and move around in between. Up until this time, it's even one among the unique places in the Delta currently, as we speak now. There's a pack of dog denning quite late, uh, and it, it started drawing attention of many people to come and see how does this pack works out its dynamics in the heat and having cups and hunting and doing all those kind of things. These are kind of unique stuff that happens within this 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 area here. So going down to Tarana, it's 
pretty much within the seasonal flooding areas of uh, one other component breaking from this bigger channel here, a tributary that takes the water into the southern part of the delta, and uh, then the, the floodplains of that, that's where Karana is uh, situated, benefiting a lot of bird life, and, and, and uh, you can explore as much as you want within the water during peak season of the floods. We are also able to do boat cruising. What makes it different from that of Mabeha is that this one here, as you cruise through, you're able to see islands, islands out there, sea, and as you go, you watch the interaction of animals, and it has a lot of animal corridors as they cross from one island to the other. Chances of finding herds of buffalo crossing or elephants crossing, or this is even the best place to see the red leeches as they run across the channel because they, they, they mainly stay along the, the seasonal flood water, which is not so much deep. Then we can also explore this area with the, the means of um, coral, and then we can go as far as we want. It's not far from one among the famous heronry site in the Delta. Heronry is where a lot of these darting birds come and gather together for breeding. And as these birds are spread out with their chicks into the floodplains, then Karana and the surrounding floodplains happens to be one among the, 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 the closest feeding grounds. And this, this transforms the area into a, a beautiful birding place that one could come to see birds in numbers. Of course, it's water birds, but having to see them in hundreds, it's, it's, it stands out, very special. The likes of the birds like the wattled crane, the last season we've seen enormous numbers of wattled cranes coming into Tarana floodplains as the water starts receding. And, and this, is, this is unusual. I tell you, wattled crane in the world, their population is it's not so great, but it's quite healthy population in Okavango Delta compared to what it is in the entire world, which makes it much more special place for, for such birds that they are able to breed and multiply within an ecosystem like this, which makes it much more a breeding destination that many people from across the world, those that are much more interested in birding, they consider the Okavango Delta as a tourist destination. So going to Sandibi, as much as you know, the Okavango Delta is transformed into these waterways and in between there are different sizes and different types of islands. We have got three that we know that one is mass islands, which are much bigger and, and the ground or the level of the ground will be elevated or higher. It stays like that and never got to be drowned by the water. Then we get the meandering channels or, or meandering islands that are in between channels. And these are just uh, over the years, a piling of the sand and then transform that into an ecosystem became wooded and, and trees grow up like a couple of hundred of years and then it became an island that that some of these camps are built in and then we get these dotted islands that are within the floodplain and it's just a termite mount with some little bushes around it so sandivi happens to be much more of a marshland in in the middle and surrounded by two tributaries one goes from 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 north to east and another one runs from west to north so the two tributaries, they overflow and form floodplains in the middle. And this seems to be an ideal place for many animals because when it's wet, they go into the dry land, which is in the center. And it's quite massive land and it will have like 
a couple of little depressions where the rainwater get collected and these animals stay within there. When this dries out, they now migrate back into the river. Short migrations though. So they stay within the area and they don't go out. As a result, all the resources are within and it makes it a game rich area and animal stays there in large numbers because of this massive island in the middle, makes the three concession a lot more different that one can find himself going between the three and and, and never realize that he's still within the same Okavango Delta. Sandibia looking much more different with diversified habitat, pretty much wooded to sustain large herds of animals, including elephants. And then you don't see the big numbers in Beha, but it's so much special. Those smaller groups, they are then be be able to be seen or located within 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 the duration of the guest stay, the interaction with predators, the boating, which it's magnificent in that beautiful channels, and Karana with the open plains, and then a lot of that uh, special stuff that comes along with it: bird life, heads of elephants the tree climbing lions, which is very unique and special, being promoted a lot more in East Africa, but it's actually happening here in the Okavango Delta. It's a special adaptation, of course, but having to find a pride of lion climbing tree with their cups, it should be should be one, one thing that everybody in the world uh, cannot believe until they see that. Uh, happening. And I believe you had a first-hand experience with that. Yes, absolutely. And in that beautiful, beautiful golden delta light as well. It was absolutely breathtaking. Incredible. Dix, thank you. I think that's a very, very clear explanation of the differences between the camps. And you described it so vividly. I can just close my eyes and I feel like I'm back there again. I have to ask you, do you have a favorite between the camps? Uh, it's it's quite unfortunate. I don't have a straight answer for that. I have favorite seasons in at every camp. Yes, uh, actually, seasons are a brilliant thing. If you if you take me to 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 Sandibi, then make sure it's a period between September, October, November when it's dry, because then the concentration of all game and and birds are within the river system or the waterways, of which makes it a tremendous experience. You find yourself driving along the river, you're gonna benefit a lot of those big heads or large heads of elephants, concentration of birds, all herbivores, they gathered around there. The best place to see hippos out of the water, crocodiles basking out of the water in the land, just as it is in the Chobe. I would, I would prefer to be there during those months, but bring me back in, in, in Nabeja during the months of May, June, July, when the floods arrive, especially in May, when floods comes in, they transform this area. Look at how... The, the, the animal would make a, a sign just before the water arrived that something is happening, things are changing. And, and watching all these changes, it's very special. Then make sure you don't forget to bring me back to Karana uh, during the rainy season now to enjoy uh, the bird life, to enjoy the green, the, the green open plains as they now been colored by these antelopes when they drop their young and it, it makes it look so special with the heads of impalas on the background of the green uh, grasses or bushes with many babies or many of their impala lambs and sesabees and wildebeest. They gather in numbers because of uh, this time of the year when they give birth and they need support and safety in numbers. It's the primary 
objective of this, and it's it's it, it makes it much more special. So if you move me around in this in these three camps, different seasons, that's great. Take me to Chobe during the dry season, like at the end of the winter season. Keep me in Chobe pretty much from August, September, October. Drop me down near the river and I will have my happy life. It sounds amazing, but I'm sure our, our guests will have to plan many trips back to the Delta to see all of this for themselves. Of course, season after the other. That's, that's, that makes it uh, special. So that is why you see the Delta throughout the year as it transformed by this water, by this rain, everything. I mean, it's, it's, it's never a dull place to be. There's so much happening in different areas. It depends on what you're looking for. And then that, that will determine what time will be best for that. Yeah, like I said, this, the green season is also an incredible time of the year to travel. As much as you know, this will then be as green and all the animals look in good condition. And basically, it's, it's the best time to even uh, spend time with animals like baboons when they, they forage in the open. And it's, it, it's a lot of interaction. I mean, it's, it's very special. When you ask me where, which camp do I prefer most, uh, my diplomatic answer was was not necessarily <laughs> to be diplomatic, but in reality, that's what it is. Uh, if you if you if you move me around the places in those months, and then I, I associate with what you benefit from one place and the other in different seasons and and, and all that. That that complete my my circuit of. Um, what what makes the delta special to me and this is how i've 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 learned and studied and observed and and got to realize that okay these are how things happen in the delta if if but this this actually happens because you see i i'm I, i've got the privilege to get to places in different times of the year different times of the months and and it has been within my my interest to to observe and study all these things because because of my aim and my development path. Absolutely. I think the takeaway for guests is that no matter what time of year they come, if they plan it properly, they will have amazing experiences. And the second thing to take away is that they should come back more than once yep. to fully experience everything that there is to see in the Delta. Exactly. Otherwise, they need to stay with us more than a month. Dux, is there a particular sighting or experience that pops into your mind when you think about the Delta or about your time in Botswana in general? Um, I know you've had an amazing wealth of experience in Botswana, but is there something in particular that you would like to share with us? Yep, um, there's there's quite a number of experiences, of course, that uh, I had in the Delta. Some of them quite recent, some even way before, uh, as much as I've guided for almost 20 years, different areas in the country, I've seen enormous number of interesting stuff from birds to mammals, the likes of lion hunting buffaloes, the likes of wild dogs hunting, killing, feeding their young ones, and all those kind of things. But a lot of it is that then my focus became within photography and birding. So as much as I realized that I will cover up more areas, then it will be interesting to learn more of the bird species that exist within those areas because the rest of other uh, mammal species and their interaction, that comes in every now and then. So I've, I've even been privileged to see 
some interesting flocks of birds that many people have not seen. The wattled crane, as I mentioned. As African schemers have watched the, the breeding sites of this incredibly looking southern carmine bee eaters in numbers like you could not see through them. It's just dust. Stuff like that. I've seen the gatherings of many birds in heronry site, like the breeding site, and seen how raptors come and give them trouble, just trying to pick their chicks and how these birds defend themselves. Incredible species of, of birds that are found in the water here. And as the delta recede like this, I've never even realized that some little birds can carry as much bird, like fish species on its crop. And when it gets there, regurgitates to feed their young. It's quite a unique feeding method, but many other people have not observed that. Some of the sightings, I believe I told you one sighting that I saw in the Chobe when I followed a big herd of elephants feeding within within the water, like in the fringe. Some birds there feeding around the white birds. It's not a good story to tell, but it was interesting and it never goes out of my head because I... I, I, I I'm, I'm trying to think of how this bed couldn't calculate that. So it, it's you could see that that, that was just this, this slight mistake. Many occasions, these birds interact with animals, and the, such relationships are unique, and it's benefiting, even if it's benefiting one species. But I tell you, this bird might not find food if the elephants don't pass through. But having an elephant dying on its wing was, was just one mistake in, in, in a long time. I've never seen it again. So that's an indication that many animals are so incredibly brilliant that they they never make mistakes so easy. The likes of the warthogs being hunted by the wild dogs, we see enormous stuff. I don't know which one in particular I can tell you about <laughs> because there's so many scenarios running in my head right now. Uh, from lion, leopard, cheetah, wild dog, and and birds, as many as I may think of. I'll tell you this one because it happened, when was that, like three months ago? The wild dog chased an impala into the water, right? Impala escaped into the water. Uh, after he realized it's tired and the dogs are just behind it, it ran into a pool. And in this pool, there's a, there's a crocodile. So the crocodile now is approaching an impala who... It's actually drowning. It's only the water up to his neck. And then the impala suddenly see the, the, see the crocodile coming. He starts moving back to the dogs. The dogs also, they are interested that, okay, you're coming back. You're coming back. We're going to wait here. So the crocodile is also pushing on another side. So as the impala almost reaches the, the, <clears throat> the end of the water where the dogs are, turn around and start running parallel so the dogs caught it. So when the dogs caught it, a crocodile came. So it was interesting to see a crocodile pulling into the sighting and managed to go in and grab the impala, but it's not pulling the impala back. It's just, hold, it's just holding on the impala and the dogs are just eating. The dogs are eating around, crocodile just hanging on the, the, the only part he's, he's biting on until the dogs have finished the impala on another side. That is when he took he took his chair and went back. So to my to my surprise is that this crocodile would have won the entire impala if he wanted. Because he grabbed on an impala and dragged it back in the water. He doesn't have to hang there and wait for about five to ten minutes when these wild dogs are feeding. 
and making this impala mud and all that because it's actually in the fringe of the floodplain. So it was interesting to see. Crocodile was so disciplined that, okay, I'm not going to take the kill, all of it. You guys worked hard on this kill. I'll allow you to feed and get your share, and then I'll get my share as well. So it's, it's, it's an interaction that was special, and there was not even a fight. This dog didn't trouble the crocodile. The crocodile also just been there, motionless, hanging on the, the, the legs of the impala until it was only left up to the nose of the crocodile, and he, then he pulls it back in the water. He got his share for the day. So that was interesting. Otherwise, a lot of other sightings is commotion of the wild dogs and hyenas. The, the wild dogs rocked up. One day they, they found a leopard that was feeding just in the little shrub. They smelt the kill. They pulled into the sighting aggressively. The wild dog, I mean, the leopard ran up in a tree. And this commotion as the dogs are making this quick sound attracted the hyenas in the nearby. So the hyenas came and there was this uh, chasing of wild dogs and hyenas and the leopard is up there. Didn't climb too far, but it was just, just to avoid them. Went up a little bit and is looking down, waiting for them. As they run around like that, the, the wild dog disembowel everything and pieces are scattered around. This leopard dropped down and, and picked a piece and jumped up in a tree. So it was an interesting interaction. I know people are fascinated by predator interaction, but I've seen a lot of a lot of things from even different things. Uh, lizard hunting, <laughs> scorpions, lizard hunting, the spiders. Yeah, the birds picking up crocodiles, I mean, uh, frogs. I've even watched the monitor lizard digging out the crocodile nest, digging out and pick up eggs, relocating the eggs. He takes the eggs here, put them in a different area, come back, pick another one, just like that, until the crocodile, wherever he was, realized and came running. By that time, crocodile ran and stopped by the nest. Stopped by the nest, but at least about five eggs have been taken away. So quite strategic creatures. They know that if I sit here and feed here, this can turn up to be the best place to die. So I would rather relocate or take the eggs to another place, just like that. So this interaction and thinking out loud and communication of birds and animals and everything makes the whole ecosystem an interesting place to live in. Those are fascinating stories, and they actually show that if you spend time in the bush, you will always see something that's absolutely amazing. Yeah. Dux, thank you so much. You've been you've been really, really generous with your time and it is absolutely fascinating to talk to you. I could talk to you all day. And I hope you will come back and, and talk to me again um, about private guiding at some stage. But for now, thank you so very much for giving us this glimpse into Botswana and its safari regions and its beautiful world of wildlife. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Leave Our World a Better Place. Don't forget to subscribe to make sure that you never miss an episode. If you'd like to find out more about and beyond, please log on to our website at andbeyond.com.